Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. Peace be unto you. I'm tempted today to say that this is the theme of today's gospel account. It's the theme that I'm going to emphasize anyway. The disciples are hiding out, having suffered the trauma of Jesus' arrest, torture, and execution. And then they suffer the further mental trauma of the news that Jesus' tomb has been found empty, and also the confusing words of Mary Magdalene and the other women about having seen angels saying that he's alive and all the rest of it. Plus, they're still in fear for their own lives, having been um, variously, um, having been public, publicly associated with him um, and worried about getting snatched up by the authorities themselves. And all this trauma and anxiety, almost akin to that of a military battle, is weighing on them. I think it's hard for us to understand the mindset of the disciples uh, at this time but uh, because we're so focused on the trauma of Jesus during the Passion, uh, sometimes we forget the trauma of the disciples during the Passion. Um, indeed, most of them disappear from the accounts of the Gospels, but I don't think we're to assume that they weren't, um, at least at a distance, keeping tabs and, and observing what's going on. And for any who didn't stick around, certainly they heard uh, from those who did not least, John and Peter. Uh, so the stress on the disciples at this time is enormous. I once saw a photography project that documented uh, through photos the faces of soldiers right before they went off to serve a tour of duty um, in, it was either Iraq or Afghanistan, for the first time. So they had never been to war before. And the photographer would take their uh, photographs, their pictures, of their face, and after they had returned serving one or two tours, they would, under the same conditions, be photographed again. And the differences are astounding. The sheer stress of battle has visible physical effects on their faces. Their brows are sterner and bigger, almost like they de de like developed muscle in their uh, brows. Uh, they're, they're more wrinkled skin around their eyes and mouth. Even their eyes themselves look different. Their pupils tend to stay more dilated. Um, and I think even the color of some of their eyes had changed somewhat. Basically, their faces appear hardened, giving a literal sense to the phrase battle-hardened. Uh, and also the phrase, and you know, in this case, of new soldiers going off to war, fresh-faced. Those aren't empty phrases. They really indicate something. I have to imagine the same type of physical changes were just beginning to happen to the disciples' faces after the very real stress and anxiety of the last three days. Stress not just from what they had seen and heard or from the fear of their lives, but also the stress coming uh, from the realization that the entire worldview, the whole future picture that they had imagined has disintegrated. Um, after following Jesus around for two or three years, they had come to believe that he was, in fact, the promised Messiah, and they imagined in their minds all of what faithful Jews at the time would have imagined about 
the Messiah applying to Jesus. That is that he, as the true um, Messiah, would be installed as the ruler of Israel and that um, Israel would be liberated from Roman rule, eventually gaining pride of place among all the nations of the earth, a future they very much believed in. Because why not? Jesus could walk on water and restore the dead to life. But now he was dead. And the stress would have been unbearable. And then, in our account this morning, peace be unto you. Out of nowhere, he shows up in the middle of them. Peace be unto you. What other words could accompany the shock of this revelation? Jesus alive, standing there in their midst. Peace be unto you. But it didn't go in the first time because their brains couldn't immediately process what they were seeing. Peace be unto you, Jesus says again. And they're beginning to see him now. And now they're beginning to be glad as they see his hands and his side and they look at his face and they're just like, oh, this is real. And so as they're slowly beginning to grasp what they're seeing, he says again to them, peace be unto you before moving on to give them what he came to give them. The peace he announces to them doesn't precede that final glorious victory of the old future that they had been imagining. He doesn't round them up to then march down to the the palace in Jerusalem and through some miraculous show of strength to take the throne from the intruding Romans and the imposter Herod. The action that follows his announcement of peace, in fact, precedes what seems to be like an instruction of the old order. As my father sends me, so I send you. Well, hadn't he sent them out before as sheep among wolves? What's going on here? Then he does something else. He breathes on them and tells them to receive the Spirit. This is new information because he hadn't done this previously when he sent them out. This is a whole new level of preparation. But what does it mean? St. John Chrysostom lets us know that already by his time, Christian exegetes were interpreting this event Not that the Holy Spirit is coming upon them in this moment, that would be at Pentecost, but that he was preparing them to receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't breathe on them and say, you have received or you are receiving. Instead, it's an instruction. Now that I have breathed on you, imparted my breath to you, receive as you are now able the Holy Spirit when he comes. This is his slow-paced first step preparation for them, his gentle training for the new mission, the new life. The kind of sending out that he's requiring of them now isn't exactly the same as the old sheep among wolves. For lo, they are now more than sheep. The old warfare mentality, the old stress of battle, will no longer fit this new paradigm. Yes, there may be danger and pain and persecution and even death in the cards for them, but there's a new quality to it all now peace. In a world that's infatuated with warfare, where dropping bombs is the gut reaction that comes before stillness of soul and rational thought, the peace that Christ announces to the disciples in that room is an utterly alien concept. It's a peace that doesn't merely mean cessation of hostilities, but rather a deeper supernatural desire for love. It goes beyond merely not fighting. It's an active, a proactive peace, a peace that seeks to spread. That desire is a fire that stays lit and cannot be blown out by the harshest of hostilities, the most violent of bomb blasts or shock waves. It's a flame whose source is in God and there is unwavering. 
Peace is what should animate the disciples of Christ now, in the midst of whatever circumstances, to always long for the good of others, to see them fed when they're hungry, clothed when they're naked. Over the next several Sundays, the gospel accounts will bring to our minds again uh, the words of Jesus about the nature of this reality, which he spoke to his disciples in the night of his betrayal. We revisit these words in the light of his resurrection now, in the light of this new peace he's announcing, so that we can understand them rightly. Last week, we enjoyed the joy that was announced to those who sorrowed at the tomb. This week, we enjoy the peace that's announced to those who are distressed in the upper room. Henceforth, we'll learn how to inwardly cultivate that joy and live within that peace. So may God have mercy on us, his servants, and on this entire world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.